This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode nine. I'm Jim Garrity. The topic today, dealing with cross-examination that goes beyond and sometimes well beyond the scope of your direct examination in depositions. A common question in deposition practice is whether your opponent, in a deposition that you noticed and which the opponent did not cross-notice, can ask questions beyond or far beyond the scope of your direct examination. Federal Rule of Evidence 611B, generally applicable to the presentation of evidence at trial, says, quote, cross-examination should not go beyond the subject matter of the direct examination and matters affecting the witness's credibility, close quote. And Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30C1 says, quote, the examination and cross-examination of a deponent proceed as they would at trial under the Federal Rules of Evidence, except Rules 103 and 615, close quote. Rule 103 uh, relates to court rulings on evidence. Of course, that doesn't apply to depositions. The judge isn't there. And Rule 615 is the sequestration rule. In other words, the rule of sequestration that applies at trial does not apply in depositions. So does this mean that deposition examinations are strictly limited to direct, cross, and redirect, as is common in most civil trials in many jurisdictions? And does it mean that similarly cross-examinations in depositions are limited to the scope of the direct? Generally, no. And rather than think of the answer in terms of very bright lines, think of it in terms of what makes sense. What's practical? What would a judge expect? I'll suggest some things to think about at the end of this episode. In Smith v. Logansport Community School Corp. 139 FRD 637, Northern District of Indiana, 1991, a federal judge rejected the notion that there is a definitive, universally applicable limit to the manner and mode of deposition examinations. And indeed, in that case, the judge sanctioned the plaintiff's lawyer for stopping depositions on that basis. The judge instead urged lawyers to use common sense, saying, quote, Although Rule 30C states that the subquote, examination and cross-examination of witnesses may proceed as permitted at the trial under the federal rules of evidence, end subquote, this provision, when considered in light of the rules of evidence, has no practical effect on the scope of cross-examination during a deposition. And he cited a provision in Moore's federal practice. And the judge went on to say, and the examiner may ask about anything relevant to the subject matter of the action regardless whether it was raised on direct examination, this time quoting a provision out of Wright and Miller, Federal Practice and Procedure, and citing the case Spray Products, Inc. v. Strauss, S-T-R-O-U-S-E, Inc., 31 FRD 211-212, Eastern District of Pennsylvania, 1962, close quote. Next, the judge pointed out that while Federal Rule of Evidence 611A addresses the mode of examination at trial, it mostly leaves the order of examination to the discretion of the trial judge. In other words, the judge says, uh, Rule 611A expressly gives the judge control, quote, over the mode and order of examining witnesses, close quote, to, open quote, make these procedures effective for determining the truth, avoiding wasting time, and protecting witnesses from harassment or undue embarrassment. Now, here's a quote from the spray products case that uh, the judge cited in his decision. It goes on to say, quoting from Moore's federal practice, Moreover, if the party taking the deposition examines the deponent only as to one issue in the case, it would seem that another party may examine the deponent on any other issues by direct examination without the necessity of serving a prior notice of the taking of the deposition. 
Now, I'm certainly not here to say that most federal judges would agree with these analyses. In fact, it's going to be situation dependent. If a particular judge is presented with a challenge to the scope of cross and the judge thinks it simply isn't fair, the judge is probably going to say that a lawyer was, was justified in stopping the examination or bringing a halt to the deposition for purposes of filing a motion of protective order. So again, it's, it's all going to be situation dependent. So here are some useful rules of thumb I've developed uh, for figuring out when it's time to terminate the deposition, when it's time to say that the adversary's examination is so far over the edge that it's time to cry foul. Keep in mind that uh, you always want to check your specific case authority and rules governing your jurisdiction as well. Rule of thumb number one, if you're going to stop a deposition in progress, you're probably going to need to meet the standard under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30D3A by showing that the deposition is being conducted, quote, in bad faith or in a manner that unreasonably annoys, embarrasses, or oppresses the deponent or party, close quote. The correct procedure in that situation is to announce the suspension of the deposition and then to immediately file your motion for protective order. Keep in mind this rule only applies during the deposition. If you wait until the deposition has ended, you've lost your leverage under this subsection. And if you stop the deposition but don't actually seek a protective order swiftly, you're probably subject to sanctions. You can't just talk the talk once you stop that deposition midstream You've got to walk the walk. And before you walk, pause to think, can you really persuade a judge that the extended cross that's taken place so far is being conducted in bad faith or in a manner that unreasonably annoys, embarrasses, or oppresses the deponent or party? Rule of thumb number two, if before depositions begin, you think an adversary might conduct an excessive or improper cross, perhaps based on dialogue leading up to the deposition or your prior experiences with that same lawyer, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 26C provides the standard for a protective order issued in advance. And that rule says in part, quote, the court may, for good cause, issue an order to protect a party or person from annoyance, embarrassment, oppression, or undue burden or expense. Point number three, these are not easy standards to meet. Things the judge may ponder when he or she receives your Motion. One, how long was the examination? How long was your examination? Are you complaining about an opponent's one-hour cross after you deposed the witness for six hours? Was your examination broad and wide-ranging in scope such that a cross might reasonably be just as broad, even if not a perfect match on topics? Does it make sense for judicial efficiency to just let the adversary explore the topics so a second noticed deposition isn't necessary. If the adversary could notice the witness and bring everybody back anyway, what's the point in stopping it, you might ask yourself. Which approach wastes more time, more money, and causes more inconvenience? Is the witness a crucial figure in the case, or a minor figure? The greater the witness's role, the more likely that allowing some leeway makes sense. Is there a possibility that the witness is going to be unavailable for a second deposition? Did the witness travel from a distant location? Would the witness have trouble, for health or other reasons, coming back for a second deposition if you now try to halt the extended cross? In other words, are you creating more problems than you're solving? Is the opponent using the same documents you used? Or are they working from a stack of hundreds of new documents, clearly exceeding any reasonable notion of a legitimate cross? 
some more considerations. Is the extended cross inconveniencing other witnesses who are outside in the lobby waiting for their deposition? If you scheduled a dozen minor witnesses in a single day, setting them back to back, for example, every 15 or 20 minutes, and the opposing conducts a three-hour cross of your first witness, you may have a basis to halt that deposition. Were there discussions between you and the opposing lawyers about the schedule and about the likelihood of extended cross by somebody? Did the opposing lawyer object to your lockstep schedule of multiple witnesses on a very tight frame? Or say nothing and at least implicitly approve the tight schedule as one that was viable? Is there clearly time available to allow the extended cross? For example, if you have just one witness and your examination runs from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. with the balance of the day open, is allowing a cross that lasts twice that long reasonable? Maybe. Did you have an understanding with the opposing lawyer that depositions would end by a certain time because you had other commitments? For my own purposes, I rarely stop depositions because of an extended cross. It's going to have to be something fairly extreme because the standard for stopping a deposition is high and because the last issue any judge wants to spend time on is a discovery squabble and a scheduling fight. Further, I found, as you surely have, that cross-examinations reveal things I didn't know. And occasionally, the opposing lawyer winds up developing some great testimony for me. In fact, I would say more than occasionally. I think that's one of the reasons why many lawyers who defend depositions ask no follow-up questions. They just don't want to open a can of worms. So if a lawyer is willing to open that can for me, I've got to give real thought to letting them. And that's a wrap on this topic. Thank you again for listening and be sure to check out the 450 page third edition of our excellent field guide, 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice.